0: You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks and welcome to episode 68 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. This is a show for May 2019 and I'm your host Bart Puchatz bit of an unusual show for you today. Um, I'm calling it a potpourri of ponderings for the simple reason that no one topic caught my eye this month. And I was spending ages trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about in the show and then I realised, well actually there's three little things that I definitely feel I want to talk about, but none of them are a full show's worth. Why don't I just group them together is what occurred to me. So hey press. So here's what we have, a potpourri of ponderings three topics. The first one is soapboxy and the second two are very much the art and craft of photography. So um, I figured we get the soapboxy stuff out of the way first because that's the most likely to make people cranky. Um, I, I hope it doesn't. Um, I, I hope people find that even if you disagree with me 100%, I hope you at least find that an interesting thought. Anyway, the first thing that really got caught my eye this month in terms of photography was unusually a piece of Photography news ish passing me by on my RSS reader where I normally keep track of Mac news and stuff. But a bunch of my Mac newsy people I follow were sharing a link to a blog article by a chap called Wes Siller. And the title caught my eye for sure. And when I read his piece, it maintained my eye, as it were. Um, the title is Selfies Don't Kill People. And I think that is completely, totally and utterly true. So I'm not going to read out his entire article. You should go read it. But I've sort of created a condensed summary that I I thought it might be worth reading out. So this is is Wes writing. No one has ever been killed by a selfie. A lot of people have been killed by stupid behaviour. No beautiful destination has ever been ruined by an Instagram photo. A lot of, peop- a lot of beautiful places have been ruined by irresponsible responsible bleep holes. He didn't use the word bleep. Um, when it comes to social media's impact on the outdoors, all of us are getting mad about the wrong thing. and That anger is one of the reasons we have a problem. Skip, skip, skip. There's not been any sort of increase in the frequency of accidental deaths since the advent of Instagram or Snapchat people have always managed to find stupid ways to die. Indeed, this is me talking now, uh, me being Bart. Um, wonderful, really enjoyable series of how people are stupid to die, uh, books called The Darwin Awards, if you want to see all the wonderful ways people find to take themselves out of the gene pool. Um, a free bonus book tip there. Anyway, back to Wes. Smartphones could stop working tomorrow, and a teenage boy will still find a way to put his life at risk in order to impress a girl, even if he can't snap a photo in the process. Bart, again, yeah, I fear so. Uh, not just boys trying to impress girls, boys trying to impress boys, girls trying to impress boys, <laughs> go, girls trying to impress girls, Goes every everywhere, eh? Jay. Anyway, that's not the point. Um, okay, back to quoting West If we can attribute any statistics to the rise of social media, it could be increasing visitation to our national parks. Bart, again, he's speaking as an American here, so these are America's national parks. Back to quoting Wes. Did all of those glacier point selfies inspire a few new people to go camping? Undoubtedly. Skip, 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 skip. Sorry, I'm not going to keep saying every time I put in dot dot. I'm I'm skipping around this article a lot. Right? There there's a lot of there's a lot more here, a lot more detail on each of these points. I'm just skipping to the, the core points. Anyway. Uh, that of course leads us to another problem often attributed to social media. You're blowing up my spot, bro. Not only do photos and videos on social media help inspire new people to recreate outdoors, but they also allow us to easily share the exact locations where those photos and videos were taken. I think that's a good thing. More people becoming passionate about the outdoors equals more people who will prioritise conservation, climate change, public lands and outdoor recreation when they vote. We need to make the outdoors easier to enjoy, not harder. Showing people where to find the cool stuff is the surest way to make sure they'll have a good time. Social media represents change. New people from more diverse backgrounds can now easily reach massive audiences. Change can be scary, but it can also be powerful. Change also happens whether you like it or not. So you might as well try and find a way to benefit from it. Every time I see news, a news story about national parks and other public lands being loved to death... And blame social media for a boom in visitation, I can't help but see a missed opportunity. More visitors should equal more dollars for the places that we love. Dot, 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 dot. Every time I see a news story blaming a selfie for a death, I also see a missed opportunity. If social media was powerful enough to draw a person to that place and inspire them to take a photo, then it surely can also be powerful enough to reach that person with a powerful message about responsible recreation. If we as a community of outdoors loving people are worried about social media bringing people who aren't indoctrinated into our belief systems to the places we love then da- then damaging sorry let me sorry let me read that again i'm very bad at reading it out loud so i don't usually do it if we as a community of outdoors loving people are worried about social media bringing people who aren't indoctrinated into our belief system to places we love then damaging them why can't we use social media to indoctrinate those people we're tacitly acknowledging the effectiveness of the platform without seeing it as a tool we can effectively use. And that's just dumb. There's uh, more stuff. And then he finishes up with the final punchy end. Getting angry at social media is only ever going to be pointless and harmful. This is an opportunity, not a problem. Okay, that's, that's me done reading out loud. Um, I totally agree. Now, I'm... OK, I love the outdoors, um, but in in Ireland, we don't really have the same level of wilderness as we have in America. So I, the outdoors is a place I visit every day, uh, but it's not a place I camp to. So I'm not a Bear grills type, but I do like the outdoors. So I'm sort of coming at this very much with my photography hat on more than an outdoorsy person's hat on. But still, I spend a lot of time in nature. I like nature. I just, either social media is really powerful or it isn't. If it is really powerful and we're blaming it for everything it's doing wrong, then it's equally capable of being used for good. And maybe if we stop shouting at social media and start using social media, then we could achieve more things. And as for... no Blaming social media for people taking selfies is just ridiculous. It's literally 180 degrees backwards. The reason there are selfies on the internet is because people like taking selfies... The person who invented the selfie stick did not create a market for the selfie stick. The person who invented the selfie stick was an absolute genius who saw a very clear and obvious market. The reason camera phones or cameras on phones took off is, you know, that didn't... Cameras on phones did not create a desire for people to take pictures of themselves. They fulfilled that desire and made Nokia and the other companies who were there first extremely rich in the process. It's technology filling a fundamental need not technology creating a whole new bad kind of human so it's the, the camera filled a need that we had a desire that we had the camera didn't create this and neither did social media social media didn't create any of these things it's just a reflection of us anyway um it, it's like Okay, so at a couple of points here, like, you know, really, we have been taking risks forever. I mean, in some of the stuff I yada yadded over in not wanting to read Wes's entire article, he actually does have some statistics and stuff, and uh, there's lots of them in there. But the one that caught my eye is that, so we think that there's this massive epidemic of selfie deaths because there's a, there's a selection effect going on, right? Person dies while crossing the road, not news. Person dies in a car wreck, not news. Person dies from horrible disease, not news. Person does something immensely dumb while trying to take a selfie. Oh, that gets to be news. It's a horrible tragedy, but we can exploit it as the one more funny thing at the end of the news story, which I find deeply horrible and ugh. But okay, let's leave that aside. It sounds like it happens a lot because every single time it happens anywhere on planet Earth, it makes the news. That is such a selection effect, it's not even funny. So, what I learned from reading this story was in the six years, from 2011 to 2017, the total worldwide number of selfie deaths in six years, 259. Not 259,000, not 259,000,000, 259 people in total on planet Earth. That is a rounding error in the number of people who died tripping over their own underwear. Yes, every death is a tragedy. No, there is not a pandemic of camera and social media induced death. There are just people dying who happen to have cameras with them. they are doing dumb things. I also don't think it's made us any any more shallow or anything because I remember the days long before the selfie camera when photography was on these little things called slides and you needed a projector to see the snapshots of the family holiday and you would invite all of your friends and family around and subject them to your family to your snapshots from your family vacation and my abiding memory of such things is seeing people I know blocking the views of famous places. People I know blocking views of the pyramids. People I know blocking views of the Eiffel Tower. People I know blocking views of Big Ben. If they weren't selfies, what were they exactly? And, I mean, that's a complete trope. So it's been around long before we had selfie cameras. And I think one of the biggest reasons that we are allowing this planet to fall into genuine danger of becoming hostile to our existence, right? People talk about saving the planet. No, the planet will be fine, right? This rock has been here for billions of years. This rock will continue to be here for billions of years. This rock hosted life for billions of years, and this rock will continue to host life for billions of years. No matter how efficient we get at being dumb, we are not going to stop this rock supporting life. What we are in spectacular danger of doing is in stopping this rock supporting us and some of the other bigger animals that we like. But the microbes and stuff are fine. And the last time most of the big animals occupying the place got bumped off, it was actually an opportunity for little mammal-like things that became us. So, yeah, we could well cause the next major extinction event. In fact, I believe if you do the maths, we already have caused the next major extinction event. But we may... Include ourselves into the mix. If we want to avoid that, we need more people to be aware of the world, not about the artificial, cozy, air conditioned sort of places we build where we can hide from the world, but the actual world. And if photography and sharing photography can help spread the word about the existence. And value of the world, then it's actually an opportunity to save this rock as we know it. So I am never going to say that, oh, social media' terrible is terrible. It's destroying the planet. No no, 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 we're doing that. And maybe, just maybe, social media can help us to stop doing that before we quite finish the job. Now, my eternal optimism, I keep on being told I'm an eternal optimist by people, I don't know why, my eternal optimism is starting to run into some serious headwinds here, because I've been saying, no, 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 as soon as we realise what we're doing, we'll stop doing it since the 1980s, doesn't seem to be helping very much, but anyway, social media is certainly not what's causing the destruction of planet Earth, but maybe, just maybe, it can help us to cut down on the destruction of planet Earth a bit. Okay, so there we go. That's my soapboxy bit off. Um, as I say, Wes's article is well written. It, it, I, I find that it a, a good read. So I would recommend that if I didn't make you entirely too cranky to have a read, the link will be in the show notes at les-talk.ie. It's called Selfies Don't Kill People by Wes Siller. And it was originally posted on outsideonline.com. Okay, so topic number the second... Minimalistic edits, completely inspired by a recent episode of the wonderful Shutter Time podcast, specifically episode number two hundred and forty-seven, called Minimalistic Editing. Um, before we get stuck into this actual episode, I just want to say I was extremely sad when Shutter Time with Sid and Mac became Shutter Time with Sid, because sorry, with Mac. Uh, I really missed having Sid on the show. Um, a, because Sid is wonderful. And although I think at a few times I have disagreed so vehemently with Sid that she has been the inspiration for episodes of this podcast. And that's fine, because that's that's a good thing. Um, but on the whole, I, you know... The, the chemistry between Sid and Mac made the show what it was. And when it just became Mac, it wasn't the same. And, I, you know, Mac, if you are listening to this, Mac, that's not a criticism of you. You rock, absolutely. Um, and in fact, when yourself and Antonio did a bunch of shows, they were extremely interesting. Extremely, I got a lot out of them. But the thing is, a more diverse point of view was one of the things that made Shutter Time great. You know, you cannot get the same, it helps get a more more nuanced, a more, not more nuanced, a more full, a more rounded view of the world when you have more points of view and having a bit of gender diversity in a field that is completely, not completely, that is disappointingly skewed male was valuable. So it made me extremely happy when Cassia stepped in to become a new regular on the show. Um, the first, well, you know, initially, I'm not sure. I don't sure what the plans were behind the scenes, but the first time we sort of got the impression it might be a one-off or Cassia come out, Mark. But it was such a fun show, and I'm assuming lots of people wrote in positive feedback. Anyway, Cassia has now become the the permanent sidekick. So we're back to shutter time being. Gender balanced and having that ping pong of friendly disagreement. In fact, what am I? You know, the perfect example of why disagreement makes not a good thing, but a bad not a bad thing, but a good thing would be the heart and soul of Shutter Time. When it was Sid and Mac, the fact that Sid and Mac didn't agree is why that show was fantastic. And now that it's Cassia and Mac, the fact that Cassia and Mac disagree is what makes the show fantastic. And I'm just so enjoying hearing that diversity back in the show. And so I just want to say, Cassia, thank you for stepping in. And Cassia and Mac, best of luck with the show going forward, guys. You have something great going on here. Keep it up. Anyway, so with all that said, uh, their episode, the entire episode was about minimistic editing and they gave their point of view. And I'm not disagreeing with anything they said. That's not the point of this, this little discussion here. I just felt inspired to share what I understand when I hear the term minimalistic editing, because we're all going to understand different things. So when I think of, okay, I am just going to do the bare minimum here. I'm not not going to, you know, do tone mapping or... Basically, I'm not going to spend half an hour in Photoshop to create something here. I am just going to take this photo, finesse it a little, and call it a day. Now, in other words, I want to edit this as a naturalistic shot. I took it. I'm just going to give it a little, you know, you know the way your mama used to spit on the handkerchief and rub that little bit of dirt off. You know, just a little, a little tweak to make it perfect, and then let it be what it was from the camera. And sometimes I take pictures with the express intention of punishing the pixels massively. Right? I I take the shot with the intention of making you know really contrasty monochrome. where I'm going to crush those blacks to an inch of their life. Or sometimes I take a picture with the absolute intention that I'm going to take this colour and I'm going to make this colour dominate. Or I take the shot and it's like, okay, well, there's a massive dynamic range here, so I'm going to bracket it, I'm going to take three shots, I'm going to combine them together. I mean, there are all sorts of different intentions I may have when I'm taking the photograph. And then there's times when I take the photograph with the intention of it just being used as is. But I will never... Me personally, I will never take a shot straight from the camera and put it online. They they will always get a little bit of a finesse before I share it. And the reason for that is that a digital photograph, that little finesse is the equivalent of developing a photograph in the olden days, right? So a digital image is some numbers that flow out of a sensor and Our modern digital cameras have a little brain in them, excruciatingly silly brain, because artificial intelligence doesn't really exist, which applies some algorithms and turns that into a first approximation of a good photograph. It does its best, but it's not intelligent. It's just following some rules, some humans programmed into it. So what I want from a minimalistic edit is just... The equivalent of developing a piece of film, I just want to fine tune what the, let's call it naive, we won't call it a silly computer, because it's neither silly nor smart, it just is. What the naive computer did can be tweaked a bit by me, the intelligent human, or somewhat intelligent anyway, I like to tell myself. So that's to me what a minimalistic edit is. I'm just going to go in and I'm just going to... I won't say the word second guess, but I'm just going to give a few final tweaks to the initial conversion, the initial development that the camera's little brain did to finish the job of converting the data from the sensor into a photograph. And so for me, that's actually just three things that get finessed. Now, one of them isn't... Okay, so I finesse the computer on two things, and then I finesse myself on the third, but I'll come back to that. So the absolute first thing I will do is I will finesse the exposure um, and I will generally do that by putting the black point where it needs to be. So I will use whatever whatever editor I'm using, I will enable the feature that shows you when you have uh, blown the shadows of the highlights. And I will slide that black point slider onto the point where the the, the pixels in the photo that are black are at the black point. So in other words, those pixels are at the value of zero in the representation of the values of the photograph. So basically, I'll move the black point slider until black is black, and then I'll move the white point slider until white is white. And just doing that means, okay, so you, if you think about it, your, your image only has so many variations between pure white and pure black, Make those variations exactly match the very, you know, the brightest thing should be the brightest thing that can be represented, the darkest thing should be the darkest thing that can be represented. Then you've you've taken the entire dynamic range of the of the image and fitted perfectly into the dynamic range of the finished product. So at that point, you will usually have an image that looks just that little bit better than when you started because black is black and white is white. And at that point, what's often needed just to give it that little extra finesse is a subtle. Now this is very important, a subtle curves adjustment just to perhaps nudge the midpoint a little brighter, a little darker depending on how it feels. And as a matter of taste, I tend to like a little bit more contrast than you will generally get out of camera. So I will use an S shape adjustment on the curves in which I will drop the a point sort of a third of the way between black and the midpoint down a little and a point about a third of the way from white towards the middle up a little. In other words, slightly brighten the highlights and slightly darken the shadows. So the black and white points are already anchored in the right place. We're just dropping down the shadows a little and up the highlights a little. And that has the effect of boosting contrast. And that's usually enough to do the trick. Just tighten it up a little. The other thing that makes an absolutely huge difference, <clears throat> excuse me, is if you can finesse the colour. So I say, you know, I call it, so in my show notes I'm saying to myself, finesse the exposure with the black point, white, cur- white point and a little curved tweak, and then finesse the colour. And the single best way to get a photograph to to to... To not feel off, I guess, is to get rid of all unwanted colour casts. And so I will generally say, so sometimes you want some colour for the point of expressing a tone. So if you're taking a sunset, you want it to be, quote-unquote, too orange. Because it feels orange, right? It feels warm. Sometimes you may want a photograph to feel cold. In which case you will intentionally nudge it a bit off the white balance towards the blues. But to make a photo feel right, the contrast will look wrong, actually. So if you have a photo where the whites are white in terms of the value between 0 and 256, but they're yellow in colour, it won't feel like a crisp photograph. It will feel as if it's not contrasty. It'll feel flat, but it isn't flat. It's the wrong colour. And if there's something in your shot that is... Actually neutral in color. Then you take a little eyedropper, you drop it on the neutral thing, and hey presto, white balance taken care of. At that point, you have the quote unquote correct white balance, and then you nudge it artistically if you wish. But again, if you're doing a minimalistic edit, you probably don't want to do that because maybe that doesn't count as minimalistic anymore. So you just want to get your whites white and call it a day, perhaps in a minimalistic edit. Um, but if you don't have anything naturally in the scene, this is where having a gray card with you really helps a lot. Because if you have one, you know, you're outside, the light is, wherever the light is, you take one picture of your grey card, then you take your pictures, and then when you come home, you drop the eyedropper onto that one picture you took of the grey card in the light, and then you just copy and paste that adjustment onto all the rest of your photographs, and their colour will just be correct. And like I say, you can nudge it artistically if you wish, whether or not you want to quibble, whether that's still minimalistic editing, fine. But anyway, get the white balance right. And that will just make your photographs feel crisper. And only when you have the white balance right you might want to give the colours a little bit of an extra kick. And this is a personal taste thing. Right? So just like I like a little bit more contrast than the camera wants to give me, hence my little curves adjustment, I like a little bit more colour than the camera tends to give me. So I will generally pop either a little bit of vibrance or a little bit of saturation. And I generally find the vibrant slider gives me a more pleasing feel. Not a lot, right? I'm a big fan of subtle edits. So just a little finesse, just a little tick, you know? Like 0.9 of an adjustment and, you know, just a little, just a nudge, just nudge it a little. And if you do that before you fix the colour, what you'll find is that if it already looks a bit flat, because actually the whites aren't white, they're yellow, if you boost the colour on a photograph that looks flat Because the colours are wrong, it will look flatterer and more wrong if you then boost the saturation of the vibrance. So you definitely want to get your colour right before you even consider nudging that saturation of vibrance slider. So at that stage, it's mostly about helping the little computer and the camera get its facts straight with a little bit of opinion on my part thrown in, with a curves tweak and a saturation or vibrance bump, and actually, if I'm completely honest, even in what I consider to be a minimalistic edit, I will almost always throw a little bit of the definition slider. Again, small, not even 0.1, like, not even the first big tick on the scale in in Lightroom. Just, you know, 0.5, 0.6, something like that. 0.05, 0.06, just that... Just a little nudge of definition, just to get the edges a little crisper. Just a little nudge. So, again, at this stage, we're helping the naive computer brain, is how I justify calling it minimalistic, with a little bit of opinion thrown in. The next one is not about second-guessing the camera so much as... I'm not second-guessing, helping the camera. It's so much as it is accepting the fact that Some engineer made an engineering decision about what shape the sensor should be. That doesn't mean you have to keep that shape, right? You can crop a shot. So I have it in the show notes as finesse the crop. Now, for me, finessing the crop comes under two categories. Sometimes the composition just works better as a 3x4. So make it a 3x4, you know, what's the harm? And a lot of the time I will intentionally shoot a little bit too wide if I'm out in the great wide open because it's easy to crop in a little bit. It's much more work to have to clone in some extra stuff or to try magically capture something you didn't capture. So I will generally, particularly if it's something that's moving or something where I'm moving or something that's been taken in a little bit of a hurry, I will often intentionally shoot a little bit wider than I really want because I know there's more than enough pixels to spare on modern cameras. And so I will intentionally leave myself a little bit of room and then knowing I will be finessing the crop when I get home. So... That's me leaving myself a margin for safety and then just tidying up after myself at the end, really. So you can argue whether or not that's still minimalistic editing, but in my minimalistic workflow, that still counts. So when I say I'm just going to do the bare minimum on a shot, and that takes me about 30 seconds because it's, it's just slide, slide, done. Like I mean, it's not, that's not five minutes work. It took me way, way, way longer to say it than to do it. That is 30 seconds, tweak, 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 done. So, as I say, episode 247, Shutter Time Podcast completely utterly really recommend the show to anyone who isn't a listener already um and so what is the third thing that caught my eye well the previous episode of this podcast recorded last month uh, I had a an interviewee a guest on um it was Jeff Carlson uh, Carson from the photoactive podcast and myself and Jeff had a really good time and it reminded me that I had popped his show photoactive into My podcasting client on my phone, um, I use Overcast, and I had downloaded a bunch of episodes with the intention of the next time I run out of stuff to listen to, I will listen to these. And then I sort of kind of forgot, mainly because I haven't run out of stuff to listen to. But anyway, I decided that that's just terrible. And so what I've started to do is i started to pepper back episodes, so basically one-a-day-every-day back episodes of Photoactive. So I've basically been listening to seven episodes of Photoactive a week for the last while. Thoroughly enjoying the experience, by the way. Um, so I started at episode one, working my way forward. Anyway, I came through recently episode 13, which was on the importance of aspect ratios. And I think that's a perfect way to segue from finessing the crop into talking actually about aspect ratios. So the guys did a whole big conversation about it, and I don't, again, this is not me disagreeing with anything they said, I just thought I would share my opinions on aspect ratios since I found it an interesting discussion on their show. So, to me, I think, I think you can say it without controversy, I think you can just say it as a fact, that the aspect ratio really affects a composition. If you have a circular subject... And you center it in a square crop, that is a very, very different composition to anything you could do with that photograph as a 16 by 9 landscape. Whether you move the, the circular thing off center to one of the magic rule of thirds lines, doesn't matter what you do. If you have something circular in a rectangular composition of any shape of rectangle, it is very different to having it centered in a square crop. So that is the most extreme example I can come up with of how an aspect ratio really affects a composition, but it's not it's true across the board even with more subtle differences. Depending on the shape and the movement of your subject through an image, it may help help or hinder your story to have a, a sort of a more square or a less square aspect ratio. If you want to get a sense of something moving left, right through a shot, then a 16 by 9 may actually be extremely powerful. I have some some panning shots I really like with trains, which use quite a wide aspect ratio. We give you the sense of movement through the shot. You have this blur. You have the sharp bit at the front of the train sitting on the magic one-third line, on your rule of thirds, you know, line. But that wouldn't be nearly as effective as a square crop. Like, not even vaguely nearly. the The long, narrow... P.O.V., uh, crop, helps tell the story of movement and motion and that sense of direction every bit as much as everything else about the shot. And if you, depending on your landscape shot, you may, you know, if it's all about the the parallel line, you know, reflections or whatever, then you probably want something that's wider than it is high. Um, To some extent, I guess, a riser next to each other, not one on top of the other. So for landscapes, I think we generally do want sort of that panoramic feel whereas for other things for portraits we may prefer much closer to square and vertical so you know it the the aspect ratio absolutely affects the feel of a composition is is what i'll say so choosing an aspect ratio to me is a choice that's a creative choice now our cameras have a chip in them which has a shape and that's an engineering decision made by an engineer for engineering reasons. I feel extremely strongly that as a creative, I do not need to feel in any way, shape, size or whatever bound by that engineering decision. I don't feel even vaguely guilty about taking a whole whack of pixels and throwing them away. Right, My camera is a 3x2, my, my big boy DSLR, and I think, the iPhone shoots, sorry, it's a 3x2 and I think the iPhone's a 3x4. Anyway, 4 by 3 the point, you know, My phone has a different aspect ratio to my DSLR. Okay, fine. At the point I'm taking the picture, I have to fit everything into that shape. But even as I'm taking the picture, I am very often already mentally cropping into a different aspect ratio and I don't see that there's any reason I shouldn't do that. Um, it's. I don't feel vaguely guilty about throwing those pixels away and I would suggest you shouldn't either. as it It is a part of our creative toolbox and I am going to use it because I think it helps my compositions to be more strong. So I'm going to do it and I don't care. Uh, then another thing to bear in mind is that aspect ratios we don't see very often feel odd. I don't know... Which is the chicken and which is the egg here? Is it that certain aspect ratios are really common in photography because they feel right? Or is it that certain aspect ratios feel right because they're used all the time? And actually they were completely arbitrary, but they only feel right because they're used all the time. Or maybe it's a little from column A and a little from column B. I don't know. But what I do know is that the aspect ratios you see a lot, just, they feel... (sighs) maybe neutral is the word, the aspect ratio isn't a distraction when it's an aspect ratio that's in common use. Whereas if you just sort of crop willy-nilly freeform, the fact that it's a weird aspect ratio can actually be a distraction from the image because their brain is going, well, that's odd. And you well, depending on the shot, maybe that is exactly what you want. Maybe you're trying to make someone feel uncomfortable. Maybe you're trying to make something feel weird, in which case intentionally pick a weird aspect ratio. But most of the time, you're not trying to to do that. You're, You're probably not trying to make your photograph feel weird. Or you're probably not trying to distract people by having an aspect ratio they weren't expecting. So most of the time, I don't think you want a weird aspect ratio. And so for that reason, my approach tends to be to, yes... Use different aspect ratios in different compositions to make the best composition I can, but most of the time, stick to the common ones, i.e., the ones that are available as presets within almost every photo app. So you have the one to one, the square. You the four by five or the five by four, depending on whether it's portrait or landscape. The four by three or the three by four, depending on whether it's portrait or landscape, and the two by three, three by two. And one of my absolute favourites when I'm doing landscape photography, 16 to 9. That's sort of that more panoramic feel. And I will pretty much always stick to those five aspect ratios when I'm cropping. Um, oh, there's 5 by 7 as well. The yeah, I see sometimes. But I almost never use 5 by 7. Um, so I will generally stick to those. And that's sort of my halfway house between not feeling that I must shoot in the aspect ratio that my sensor happens to be because an engineer decided and I also don't want to go willy-nilly. I don't want to go any old which way because I think that results in images that feel a bit off. So as I say there are my thoughts on aspect ratios. Um, Again I would recommend if you're not already a listener the Photoactive podcast is definitely one to, at the very least, download a couple of episodes, have a listen, and if you enjoyed as much as I do, I'm sure you'll be hitting the subscribe button. Okay, so links in the show notes to everything I've mentioned today, those show notes will be at lets-talk.ie, and while you happen to be there, you may notice some large blue buttons under a banner entitled Support the Show, Um, please consider doing so to those of you who already do, I want to take this opportunity to say thank you very much. It This is a listener-supported show. This show only continues to exist because you guys out there, my community of listeners, you guys make it possible for the show to exist by supporting the show either in practical ways or in financial ways, which I guess are practical in a different way. And To everyone who supports the show in any way whatsoever, thank you very much. So you can support the show simply by retweeting the episode notifications, simply by recommending the show to your friends, simply by sharing the links on your favorite social media du jour, reviewing the show in iTunes or on your podcasting library or catcher of choice. Those very simple practical things actually really help the show. So... Just doing that is a really good way to be supportive. And thank you to everyone who does. Now, it is an annoying fact of life that bills need to be paid. So I do actually need, basically, I don't do podcasts to make money. I do podcasts because I love podcasting. But I'm in a place where I can't have it costing me money. I need the podcasting to pay for itself or I can't do it. And that's sort of where we are. I mean, it's not perfectly break even but it, it's fine right it's that is ever that's okay but if it wasn't then i couldn't do it which is why i say the reason the show exists is because of you guys so i need to pay bills i need help paying those bills and that's where you guys come in and i thank you for it so the you know practical ways of supporting the show financially are there is a patreon subscription link and the patreon is great because it allows you to become a patron of the arts, as it were, are of this podcast, at the very least. You pledge a dollar amount for every episode I publish. It's one Patreon for my two shows a month. So one Apple, one photography. So if you would like to give me $10 a month, pledge five. If you'd like to give me $5 a month, pledge two and a half. You get the idea. Um, Or if you would prefer to send a single donation, then there's a PayPal button. Now, PayPal is great for one-off donations of $5 and above, Anything less than $5 and PayPal's PayPal's fee structure starts to really become unhelpful. What you end up with is if you, if you use PayPal for small dollar amounts, most of the money goes to PayPal. You know, it, it all leaves you, but very little of it gets to me. So it's not actually helping the show, it's just helping PayPal's corporate profits. Which is why Patreon is great for giving small dollar amounts regularly. Uh, and PayPal is great for giving a one-off you know, five, ten, twenty, you know, that kind of a, you know, basically five and above it makes, it's fiscally very good to use PayPal. Less than five, it starts to become, you know, okay, you're helping PayPal more than you're helping me, um, which is probably not what you intended. Okay, I'm going to stop rambling on. Um, I hope you enjoyed this rather unusual show. Uh, maybe you could drop me a tweet or whatever if you if you uh, found this new format interesting, because I may or may not do it again. Um, chances are I'll end up with another interview show next time. Who knows? Whatever it takes my fancy during the next month will end up being next month's show. But anyway, today was uh, the first time I've ever done one of these, you know, bits and bobs shows, so let me know how it went. Anyway, I've been your host Bart Bushots, you can find me at BartB.ie until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. My gal pals, Elisa, say, and Vicky, the three DT ladies... Told me to remind you that they will release a new podcast each month. So, check them out at 3geekyladies.com or subscribe in iTunes. The 3geeky Ladies, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network.